Welcome to Episode 3 of the Water Prairie Chronicles. This podcast is about supporting parents who have children with different types of disabilities. Our guest for this episode is a busy teenager who happens to have a visual impairment. I wanted to interview Olivia as a way of showing parents of young children with visual impairments what their children might be doing when they're going through the school years. To keep the episodes as close to 30 minutes as we can, we're releasing episode three in two parts. You're listening to part two of the interview where Olivia gives some tips for teachers who work with visually impaired students, some of the activities she's involved with, and her plans for the future. So the next part, have, do you have any tips for teachers that are teaching students with a visual impairment? Um, I would say if you're like a, a mainstream, like classroom teacher, you know, uh, teaching 25 uh, plus students, I found it really helpful uh, throughout uh, school to have the teacher just kind of explain to the class, hey, you've got this um, student and they, th you don't have to go into detail, but just to say, the student has a visual impairment or, you know, whatever other disability it may be. Um, it helps them if you, you know, can read stuff to them or describe an image to them or whatever it is you're working on, you know, just to kind of raise the awareness um, of kind of, hey, you're working with this person who may, do, may need a little more help than the rest of you guys and um you know obviously you can ask the student uh beforehand hey are you comfortable if i say you know talk to the class and just be like hey you know um you guys should try and help this this person out who may need a little more help than um the the rest of you and then if you're like a tvi or brailleist or uh something like that um i would say let the student, um, let them figure things out before you kind of swoop in and, you know, just, just handle everything. You, know, I mean, obviously, if you've got a kindergartner, they're not going to know how to advocate for themselves, but to kind of show them step by step, hey, this is how we do this, or how we um, go about this situation. That way, when they get to fourth, fifth, sixth grade, or, you know, beyond, they can start to handle those conversations on their own instead of then not knowing what to do when they all of a sudden have to deal with their teachers. Some good advice there, because I, I would think that it would be tempting for someone, if, they're, if their job is to be there to help you when you need help, to jump in quickly. And yeah. And I mean, sometimes that's necessary, but also part of learning is doing. And so if you're just going to jump in and do everything for them, then they're not going to learn. So, so give, giving them time to process what they're thinking about before giving them the answer to everything. Right. Okay. And kind of going about how they may handle something, you know, like, hey, I don't have um my braille copy for this math problem you know before they just before the tvi just goes up to the teacher maybe the student go up to the teacher and be like hey i don't have this um math problem
can you please send it to my brailleist so he or she can get it brailed for me? I mean, obviously, if you're in kindergarten, you might not be doing stuff like that, but by the time you get to second, third, fourth grade, uh, yeah, I think you should be uh, starting to um, handle those situations a little more. So in elementary school, you had someone with you pretty much all the time between the Brillists yes. and the TVI? Mm-hmm. And then in middle school, did you not have someone with you all the time? In middle school, I transitioned to the online school. They go all the way K through 12. And so, um, no, I didn't have anyone, you know, sitting with me. Obviously, my mom was um, here with me. But um, it was definitely a huge uh, leap from going from not knowing much technology to doing my whole school online. And I'm sure at that point, the screen readers became very important. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. yes. I learned a lot of tech in a very short time. I remember when you were first starting because Emily was at the same school, so um, but had different different accommodations than you did that um, the school was having to learn along with you mm -hmm. what they what they needed to do and where some of the lapses were in the curriculum. Yeah, because they had never had a fully VI student. And so um, obviously there are things that a screen reader won't read, such as images. And so if they had like an image of text, the screen reader wasn't going to read that. But if it was part of the curriculum, they had to figure out how I could access that curriculum. So now I know on, like whenever I post things on social media, I'll use the alt text and the mm -hmm. screen readers are supposed to read that, correct? Yes, they will read the alt text. So in the curriculum, they're not using an alt text option then for those images. Is that what you're saying? Um, right. So, okay. um, in like history class, especially is where we see a lot of images of text. And so I would either say, Hey, can you send this to me in a PDF or word doc? And, um, I can run OCR, which pulls the text out of an image, or they would have to go in and rewrite that whole, uh, curriculum to put the entire document and alt text just so I could read it. Right. Okay. The, um, and for those that are listening, the school that, that we keep talking about is a K-12 school. And I believe there's at least 40 states in the United States that have K-12 schools. So, um, and I know that it is an option for homeschooling too. So a lot of our listeners may be familiar with the K-12 program. There are other online charter schools as well, but this, this is the one that, that, that's in our community that, that, that we are talking about. So if you're in another part of the, of the country and you're using the curriculum from the K-12 with a younger child, you can thank Olivia for helping to get them ready for you so that um, they're, <laughs> they're, they're already getting, getting their, their act together, hopefully for, for future generations of kids coming through with visual impairment. Yeah. And if uh, you ever have a, a question about um, making something accessible, um, feel free to, to reach out or whatever. And I mean, there's answers out there and just contacting the K-12 and being like, hey, you know, this isn't working for me. Can we work on an alternative? 
they should be more than happy to help you with that. And I think, I think that's an important piece for all of our listeners who have children with a disability, no matter what the disability may be, is to keep in mind that just because something isn't a clear path today doesn't mean there's not a way to do it. It's thinking outside the box sometimes and finding out a different way of doing it. And it might be that, that you're going to come up with a solution that no one has thought of yet. And, um, yes. and so it, you know, just, j- just keep on trying. You don't have to get upset. You don't have to get mad just just back up and and regroup and then look for another alternative that's out there but yes um, i yeah, go ahead. i um was talking to my dad the other day about um accommodations and i was kind of half joking but i was like you know they should just give me my degree in business management because <laughs> as much as i explain to people how you know this is supposed to be done to be accessible and um you know thinking of um ways to get around you know a certain inaccessibility i mean it's you're you've constantly got something you're working with but um figuring it out you know it's it can be worth it but i think it's something too that it's skills that like like you say it, it could be a whole career path but no matter what you do you're going to be doing some type of problem solving in organization in the job right. that, that you eventually do. So yeah, you're, you're getting a chance to grow some skills earlier than other kids oh, are yes. forced to. <laughs> Fortunately or unfortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, it's still, it is a skill that's there that um, that's going to help, you know, in it, and whether it be in work or just in running your household one day, you're going to run into things. We all do that. We have to figure out how we're going to do it. And just giving up is never the answer. The answer is, you know, I, I, I don't see what the answer is yet, but I'm either going to make some phone calls, I'm going to, to ask my neighbor, I'm going to do something to find the solution to this problem that I'm facing. So, um, so yeah, so that, that's, that, that I think is a, a good takeaway from, from this conversation already for any of our parents that are listening. And teachers that are listening, keep this in mind too, because we want to encourage the students that you have in your classroom to be thinking for themselves, to help with that problem solving. And, um, and it may be by modeling it for them, by finding the solution for them, but involve them as part of that conversation so that they can have input on what the final solution is. So now I wanna go into some, um, some of the fun stuff because I haven't seen you for a couple years now and, um, and I've heard some reports from your mom, what she posts on social media and seeing a little bit of what you've been doing, but you've had some really interesting experiences in the last few years. Um, do you want to tell us about some of the camps that you've gone to? We'll start with that. Uh, yeah. So there's a couple that I've gone to over the past uh, few years. I think, um, my favorite being space camp. Um, they have a week down in Huntsville, Alabama, um, specifically for visually impaired, uh, students. The, the full um, name is uh, SkyViz uh, Space Camp for Interested Visually Impaired Students. Um, if you go to skyviz.org, you can see a little bit more about kind of what they what they are, what they do. Um, but yeah, so we get to we go to Huntsville for a week down at the Space and Rocket Center. It's a um, week long residential camp. And uh, we get to do a whole bunch of cool stuff, um, uh, like shuttle simulations, um, 
uh, team building exercises. We get to do some of the, the training uh, that like astronauts do as they're going through their training to work on the International Space Station. We learn all about like uh, past, present, and future space missions and um, kind of what we've accomplished. Um, and then the best part is you get to do two to three, depending on what group you're in, um, simulated space missions. And so each person is assigned a different role. And so, and if they make it so real, I mean, it's, it's great. You have uh, checklists and everything. They have uh, braille, large print, regular print, anything you need. They have, um, um, I don't know what you would call them, but like uh, for the the shuttle, you're like actually on like a a cockpit uh, thing, and so you get to flip like all the switches. And uh, if you're on the International Space Station, you get to do experiments and um, wow, read data from computers. And I mean, it's great, and everything is brailled and labeled uh, with braille, and uh, the computers talk. And so everything is 100% accessible. And um, I think my favorite had to be uh, this past year when I went, I did the Space Advanced Academy, which is for 15 to 18 year olds. And we have a four hour space mission. And wow. um, on top of regular um, problems that can come up during a mission, we're all assigned like um, a certain character and that character has like a underlying health conditions so like <laughs> a, i don't know like a an allergy to a certain food or medicine or whatever and so on top of like you know your engine's not firing right you may have the pilot has had a heart attack or something oh, well. and you get to act it out and uh, do all this stuff and it's really great <laughs> it's so much fun and it can get really crazy really quick wow um, I was on the International Space Station for that mission, and uh, we got done with our mission, and we're coming out, and um, I overheard some of the people in mission control talking, and they were like, yeah, that fire we had in here was crazy, and so they must have had a big fire in mission control. <laughs> so, so you don't know what's happening in the scenario on the other part of the mission? Right, so... Oh. So the, um, we have headsets that we use to communicate, and so... Um, people in mission control, some of them can talk to just the shuttle and people in mission control, and some of them can just talk to the people, others in mission control, and some of them can just talk to the International Space Station and mission control. So depending on your role depends on who you're talking to. And so you may not, like, since I was on the International Space Station, I had no clue what was going on in mission control or on the shuttle. <laughs> But for a previous mission, I was in mission control and my job was to communicate with those on the shuttle. So I was, you know, telling them, okay, uh, you know, fire your engines, you know, do this checklist, you know, making sure everything was um, going how it was supposed to. And so they, I mean, it's totally incredible and it's really fun. Well, wow, yeah. I, 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 I didn't realize that it was that, that elaborate at the end. So that, that, that oh, does yeah. sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, because um, there's like a, 
a person in each of the areas and they'll kind of go up to you. So like if I was over at a control panel, she may go up to the other person who was working in there and be like, you are now, you know, uh, getting electrocuted or you know, <laughs> having a heart attack. <laughs> and I would turn around and, you know, my crewmate would be doing this, this thing and I had to to communicate with mission control and, you know, figure out what was wrong and everything. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I'm sure you had some, some good actors sometimes too. Yes. <laughs> All right. So that's space camp. So how many, how many years have you been going to that? Um, let's see. I have been there a total of five times. And, um, and then you've done some other camps too, though. At least, at I least have, one that um, I know of, but, but tell us what else you've done. <laughs> I've done, um, so the C camps, S-E-E has a couple of camps and, um, I've done two of them. I've done the adventure camp, which is, um, a week long residential camp at, uh, the Nantahala Outdoor Center. And you get to go hiking, um, whitewater rafting, zip lining, and they have an incredible zip line course there. Um, the half a mile zip is by far the best zip line I've ever been wow, on. Wow, that's a long zip line. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, and it's very fast too. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And um, again, that's for all VI kids. So let's see, who, who runs that? Um, Jay Hardwig, and he also does another one, which I've gone to twice. Um, one year I was at Camp Dogwood, uh, and we did things like, uh, paddleboarding, kayaking, uh, we went tubing, like, um, being pulled behind a, a speedboat, and that was by far my favorite part of that camp. <laughs> and then the second time I went, they had it at, um, YMCA Camp Haines. And so they have a whole bunch of stuff there. They have, um, they have like kayaking and paddleboarding, but that's where I did the archery. Oh, okay. Um, that I was talking about earlier. And, um, let's see, they have a zip line where you, uh, you zip, but you, uh, you land in the, in the lake, uh, which is really cool. Um, they have a bunch of, it's just a mix of a whole bunch of different stuff really, but it's, it's a really cool experience. It's just a good mix of everything, really. And that one, again, is all for um, VI as well. What what age is the C camp? The C camps are um, rising 8th through 12th graders. Okay, so you're, so the older kids. And yeah, then... and then space camp is usually like 5th to 6th grade to 12th grade. Okay. Yeah, but they have different different levels because you were saying you were at the advanced one. Yes, yes, they have different levels. And so um, they break it up uh, every two to three um, grade levels. And so you your sixth grader won't be in a group with ninth graders kind okay. of thing. Like it's, it's more broken up. Um, and then another one I've done is uh, surf camp um, done at Wrightsville Beach. But it's a few days um, that you you get to go surfing for a couple hours each day with um, a surf instructor. So you're assigned either one to two surf instructors. And um, it's, it's, I mean, I know you're sending your kid out into the ocean with a stranger, but um, there is more instructors usually than there are students. Um, and again, it's all VI students. 
And so even when you're riding the wave in, there will be someone there usually to um, kind of, uh, as you get off the board, they'll be there to kind of help you get back out till you meet back up with your instructor and all of that. And so they're, they're not just sending a bunch of um, VI kids out into the ocean <laughs> with nine foot long surfboards. Um, now surfing, but, I've, I've never done surfing, but I, I understand what it is. Balance uh, is going to be hard for anyone. How, how, how long did it take you to stand up the first time or did you get it right um, away? Um, the, the first year I did stand up, um, it took a while though, because I was, I was petrified the first day. Um, but just really, cause you don't have to stand on your board, you know, you can, um, lay down or, you know, kneel, some people kneel before standing. Um, so like, even now I always, um, take either one or two waves laying down to get a feel for kind of how the waves are moving that day and then before I stand up because it does it does take a while even um though I've done it for like um six seven years it does take a while to get your your sea legs back uh to figure out how to stand back up on this um two foot wide board you know yeah, to, I I couldn't do it. <laughs> I, I I know I would not have the coordination to do it and to, to stay up. <laughs> yeah, maybe, it, maybe when I was your age. <laughs> it it's definitely hard because you get uh, leaning in one direction and you're you're falling. I remember one time, me and my brother um, caught a wave in together, and we were like back to back. Like I could have lifted my foot and stepped onto his board, but um our boards or I can't remember if it was our boards or like us had knocked into each other and um <laughs> I started falling and I fell right onto his board and so we just came ashore in this big pile of boards <laughs> <and> each other <laughs> but um it had to be really funny to watch from shore but um yeah, you you just have to find that center balance and stay there. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so so you've done the camps, um, and those are different times of the year depending on which camp it was. Yeah, most and, of them are in the summer. Now, uh, is space camp in the summertime? A uh, space camp is in September. The um, now some of the other activities that you're doing now. Tell us about that. Um, so currently I swim on a swim team i've been doing that oh goodness since i was like seven eight years old probably so i use like a a water hose with a you know like a sprayer thing you would use to water like your plants or something yeah um i have one of those at each end and so i have it two strokes out and so when I feel the water from the sprayer, which is usually way colder than the, <laughs> the water in the pool, I know that I'm two strokes out from the wall that I need to um, either, you know, take two strokes and finish or, you know, stroke and flip turn or, you know, whatever distance I'm doing. But other than that, like I have enough vision that I can see the black line at the bottom of the pool. And so that's really the only accommodation for swimming that I need. And, and I, then I see I'm... the medals behind you. Are those all your swimming medals? Yes, they are. I have a whole bunch of swimming medals um, 
back here. That's, that's pretty cool. Do you swim with uh, just a local team that's in your community? Um, yeah, I swim with the, the New Wave swim team. Uh, it's a pretty big swim team in the state. We have multiple locations, um, but like the pool I swim at is just uh, 10 minutes down the road, so it's really nice. When you were first swimming with the team, did, did you have any trouble with getting the kids to to accept you and to work with you like for relays i'm thinking um we don't really do many relays it did take a while for like my teammates to kind of open up a little i kind of have the same people in my lane each uh day and so they've kind of gotten used to me and oh and i guess i should uh mention um i have an app on my phone that i connect to a bluetooth speaker um and so if you know anything about swimming, you know, like during a practice, we'll have an interval clock. And so it goes from zero to 60 seconds and then repeats. And so if we have a set of um, 50 yards on the minute, that means every time the clock hits zero, we start another 50 yards. And so I have an app on my phone that my coach will start for me um, every practice. That way um, it's in sync with the clock on the wall. And so as the clock on the wall is showing like 30, my phone is saying 30. Oh, nice. And so that way I can hear the the intervals. Uh, the only thing really with my teammates in my lane is, you know, if I bump you or something, you know, just know it may happen, but I mean, we're, we all bump each other and everything, especially if we're swimming. It's kind of, you know, we all, we all bump into each other. Like you're saying, everybody bumps into each other, but, but just being open about it saying, you know, like it, it's, it's nothing personal if I bump into you, I just, right, it's, right. it's just going it to happen sometimes. Happen. <laughs> if I bump you and it, it's in a weird spot, I'm sorry. You know, yeah. I didn't mean to do it. <laughs> it wasn't personal. I, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, so what, what else are you doing? I know, I know you, you, you are a busy girl, so you, you have a lot of stuff going on. Yes. Um, I'm also in a, uh, local band. Um, I play euphonium, which is like a, it, uh, it looks like a small tuba. It kind of sounds like the cross between a French horn and a tuba. And so I'm able to hold and play that with one hand. That way I can read, um, the braille music with uh, the other hand. So I'm playing and holding it with my right hand and I'm reading the music with my left hand. And um, I do have a shoulder strap as well because uh, like I sit and play and so the instrument rests on my leg. And so the, the bell of the instrument where the sound comes out is, um, it's about two inches above my head if I'm sitting kind of like I am now. It's definitely a big instrument, and so the, the shoulder strap just helps take some of that tension off of my hands so I can uh, push down the valves. But in terms of kind of following the director, um, it each director, even for a sighted person, I've heard each director has a different kind of conducting style. And so everyone's trying to figure out the conducting style like if you go to like a band clinic or something like that which is just like a weekend long um program you audition uh if you get in you go 
for uh, two to three days and you work on some pieces that you've probably never seen before and then you put a concert put on a concert at the end of that weekend those are really fun I've done a couple of those and it's can be up to from like 60 to 100 people so way more than what's in the band that I'm in which only has about 15 to 20 people you're obviously listening to the other um, people around you and listening to a recording of the piece beforehand definitely helps to kind of know okay this is how my part fits in here since I can't see the conductor and know okay you know what beat we're on having to count is it's important for anyone but it's yes, it is. <laughs> even more important uh, for me because obviously the director has like a, a pattern they do with their baton to signal the different beats but for me I can't see that and so I just have to know okay I think this is beat one um you know if it's not you know you can usually tell if you play a note kind of funny or out of time or something so what was the first instrument that you played was was this the first instrument that you tried um yes I've always played uh euphonium in band did you know to read music how to read music before you tried that um no so I kind of when I started in beginning band no one really knew how to read music and so as everyone else was reading um print music I was reading braille music okay um and so I kind of learned along with the rest of the band so we have band we have all the camps that you've done we have have I missed anything there a uh, swim swim right and then you have school mm -hmm. of course and yes. just, just being a normal kid. <laughs> but then you were telling me that you've had your, your first job now, too. So tell um, me about yes. this. I have um, an internship at Shodor. What they do is it's like different science or math um, topics. And um, over the summer, they'll do like different workshops. So they'll have like different uh, like classes that they'll do. But what I'm doing is I'm working on one of the curriculums for one of their engineering oh, wow. um, courses. And so I am editing HTML files. So the files that make up a web page, I'm going in and um, I was changing, they're changing the title from um, engineers in training to explorations in engineering and so i have to go into those html files and change um that title and um that's what i was doing but now i'm taking all those files i've edited and i'm uploading them because they're all on my computer and i've got to upload them onto their server. So if someone were to go to the shoulder.org slash explorations and engineering, they would find the curriculum that I've edited and worked on, not the old curriculum. And then I've also done some testing of some of like the, um, they call them applets. And so what they do is, uh, one of the, the activities is to build a um like a bridge and so one of the activities things has an applet in it and that applet is where you can kind of simulate that bridge and so I was testing the accessibility of that applet 
and um, kind of writing, this is how you navigate it with NVDA or how you navigate it with voiceover. And so um, I'm currently working on adding that file into the HTML files that reference that specific applet. Oh, nice. Nice. So, mm -hmm. so you're able to give them good feedback on what they have already. Yes. And then, so is, is it like a tutorial that you've done now? for other people um, or for the programmers? It's it's, um, it's just a, a web page that I've um, coded. And so if um, you are a screen reader user and you go through that curriculum, there'll be a, a link that says something like, you know, uh, if using a screen reader, click here. And if you click there, it will show you, okay, if you're using NVDA, you know, you use, you know, arrows to go through these checkboxes, tab to go here, you know, this is kind of how the page is laid out, stuff like that. And so, okay. um, nice. it's so, just in the general, um, lesson. Right. You're a junior this year. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I am. So you'll be graduating next year. Do you know what mm -hmm. you're going to do after you finish school? I am planning to attend a uh, college. I'm really hoping to go to North Carolina State University. I'm either planning to study uh, some sort of engineering or uh, like computer science. I'm really interested in cybersecurity and um, cryptography, like digital forensics, stuff like that. And so I really don't know as of right now, <laughs> I'm kind of, there's so much out there and it's constantly changing. But that's what I'm really interested in. So you've been doing the dual enrollment program. Is this your first year? Yes, this is my first year. So I started the dual enrollment program when I started my junior year of high school. So last semester, I took an intro to engineering course. And this semester, I'm taking calculus. I'm only taking one course, and then the rest of my courses are through high school. That's why I was wondering if you were going to work towards your associates first. But if you're going to go on to a four-year school, then you, you're you getting some of the basic classes behind you now. Yes. To go. That's, that, that's nice. In North Carolina, for our listeners, um, the CCP program is what she's talking about. That's the dual enrollment. If you're not in a middle college, then um, you do have that option starting as a junior. And I believe most states have something comparable to that. So, um, so check with your local school system. Check with your local community college system and see if they have something that, that your child can plug into. But I think most of them, you have to be a junior in high school to do that. And your school has to agree with it as well. So, um, but in North Carolina, all, all the students have that as an option, provided that their grades are meeting the qualification to get into the, the school. So that, that sounds good. So what do you see yourself doing once you, whether you do the engineering or was it cybersecurity that you said? Or uh, you, yeah, no, you were looking more for or forensics. Um, no, so um, cybersecurity is kind of the broad field that uh, digital forensics, cryptography, um, kind of all of that falls into. And so cybersecurity is kind of like saying, I want to go into engineering. It's a very broad field. What do you think your ideal job would be thinking about it now? Um... I don't know. I want something with a lot of excitement. I do not like to do the same thing every day. You know, I want some excitement. I want to be in the middle of the action. You know, I want to be um, 
you know, discovering things or, you know, solving problems or, you know, uh, I like to be challenged. I don't, I don't like to just do the same thing every day. So, all right. Well, we are going to move now into our speed round. And I'll give you the directions for those who haven't listened to an episode before. They'll know what it is too. But there's going to be 10 questions and we're giving this to all of our guests. And over time, we're going to track the typical responses and to see who our outliers are and who, who, who falls into the normal range. And of the 10 questions, the first three are open-ended. The seven after that are just an either or. So I'll give you two words. You just choose which one you want to say. And um, the best way to um, to go through this is just to say the first thing that pops into your mind. And um, if you if you overthink it, you can make it more complicated than it really is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and there's no right or wrong answer. Um, if you're really stumped, you can say pass. <laughs> so are you ready? I am. All right. So um, the main thing is you want to have fun with this. So the first three questions. The first one is your favorite color. Um, purple. The last book that you read. Oh, goodness. Um, I don't know. I read like five books at one time. Um. <laughs> you, you do not have to have finished it. So just one of the ones that you're reading, I guess. Uh, let's see. I uh, Gone with the Wind. Ooh, I like that. Um, favorite holiday holiday uh christmas and now these are the either or so cake or ice cream uh cake batman or superman superman ocean or mountains ocean winter or summer summer watch a movie or read a book um both <laughs> <laughs> okay harry potter or lord of the rings harry potter and twitter or instagram Instagram. All right. You you may have gotten that pretty close to the 30 seconds that I said I'm not going to time anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so you were our fourth person to do it. I had to do it and um, and Steve had to do it. So we will see. But you're my, I know you're the first purple as far as favorite colors. Uh... So we'll see if, see if we, we start getting some more of those. You had said that, um, that if they had questions earlier that, that they could ask you, where can our listeners reach you? Um, I'm on Instagram. Um, my Instagram is um, o underscore Wilkerson zero four. Okay, we'll we'll put that in the show notes and the description on the video if you're watching the YouTube video. Thank you, Olivia, for spending the time with us here and telling us about your life, about what some of your goals are coming up, and um, and just the tips that you have for the parents and the kids, and even just the list of accommodations that we talk through are going to help parents as they're helping to put their IEPs together for their children. And hopefully some of the teachers that are listening will use that to, to help with their students as well. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on today. Yeah, it was fun. You've been listening to the second part of my interview with Olivia. The first part of the interview is listed under episode number three, part one. Be sure to listen to that one as Olivia explains her diagnosis and how it affects the vision she has. She describes her life as a young child and gives tips for parents and students who have similar visual impairments. Olivia was a national finalist in the 2021 Braille Challenge. If you're not familiar with the Braille Challenge, it's a national competition for visually impaired students. They go through some pretty rigorous testing to prove their skills in reading and writing Braille, as well as having some fun built in between sessions. It's a great way to get connected with other visually impaired students.